everybody you are listening to a fresh episode of my cast season 5 the alam saga i'm your co-host drishti and i am your co-host jay today we have with us an alumnus of myka from the batch of 1998 who is currently leading one of the most prestigious and credible english daily dear listeners we have with us none other than the ceo of the hindu group mr navneet lv so welcome to the show we are super excited to have you with us same here my pleasure thank you sir so sir to begin with you joined the hindu group soon after you graduated from myka and uh, worked there for 8 years and you returned to the same group after 13 years as the ceo so could you tell us about your aspirations and inhibitions as a young graduate and uh, how have they evolved over the years yeah as uh, yeah i did i did uh, start working with the hindu post myka uh, and i worked here for 8 years and uh, at a 13 year one was and i got back after 13 years and i used to tell many people the 14th year is the agnatavas where i would be incognito uh, because when you rejoin an organization however familiar it is uh, you rejoin in new roles and it does take time for you to figure out uh, the lay of the land and organize your thoughts uh, so in terms of i don't think i had too many aspirations when at that age uh, i had lots of inhibitions uh, continue to have it, have inhibitions i was i'd like to believe i was young then and i'm still young uh, and typical inhibitions that anybody would have about whether you'll fit in into the company uh, what kind of role would you have uh, how different is uh, the world of practice different from what we learn at school uh, what you want to do with yourself what your large ambitions so those are those are the inhibitions everybody has and i, I was no different and many of those inhibitions like i said uh, i continue to have but it's, it's it's good to come back to a place you're familiar with uh, after having learned a lot of other things elsewhere uh, and of all the jobs i have done uh, one of the jobs closest to my heart has been uh, this organization uh, so it's absolute honor to be back here and i've been here for uh, a little over 2 years a few months without covid and 18 months of covid uh, so it's it's been phenomenally good that's great sir uh, so so in one of your talk shows you mentioned how the hindu was born by a group of six enthusiasts during the british rule yeah so uh, can you tell us about the birth of the hindu and what went right and what actually worked out for the youngsters back then mm-hmm. See, I have a sense of our history, uh, and uh, we have deep respect for the history because we are uh, this is a 142-year-old organization with lots of legacy. Uh, so the Hindu was started in the year 1878 uh, as a weekly. It was a eight-page eight weekly uh, started by six young people uh, who were interested in India. Uh, so they were called. Uh, they were from an area called Triplicane in Madras, and our current. head office is close to where triplicane is uh, they were called the triplicane six uh, and at that time uh, an an indian was appointed to the bench of the court and the british press had lots of negative things to say say then uh, so these six youngsters believed that the indian voice needs to be heard and the indian voice uh, needs to be organized better 
and it is with that intent that the hindu was started uh, in fact in the first edition of the hindu uh, the editor wrote an editorial titled ourselves uh, which explained uh, why we believe we should we should do what we are doing uh, what we believe uh, are the principles that will govern us uh, what are our interests uh, in terms of nationalism what we will do and what we won't do etc etc i think those principles have stood the test of time uh, if i were to read it today and and actually i just read it this morning again uh, nothing has changed uh, so there's a lot of continuity in what uh, our vision and belief was uh, and the purpose why we do what why we do what we do hasn't changed over those 142 years uh, see end of the day we are all footnotes in the journey of organizations like this right uh, you you get great opportunities to lead this organization at some point in time Uh, but you are you are only a footnote uh, i think our history play, uh, makes us realize the importance of who we are what we are what do we solve for uh, and uh, it makes you aware that you need to build on that legacy and contribute to it in whatever little way you can uh, and keep the organization vibrant right sir so sir so you're talking about uh, how media industry looked like back in 2003 uh so if you talk about now uh, what do you think are some of the trends that you see in this uh, media industry what i observed and it's true everybody will tell you is uh, the life cycle of trends is sh- shrinking uh and the ability to forecast trends is also shrinking uh, so as as we have moved along in the last two decades uh, i think our uh, our ability to forecast and our ability to be prepared for something new uh, is a lot weaker than it was in the process we have become more nimble and this is going to change uh, outside of outside of what we know is happening and what is likely to happen uh, i think there's a there's a lot more things that will change than we can imagine today and we never imagined in early 2000 that 2015 will look like this or 2020 will look like that uh, so if there's a lesson from this i think the ability to live with uncertainty uh, and ability to respond to change extremely quickly and in an agile and nimble ma- nimble manner is is important i know that doesn't answer your question fully but i'll leave that no out. sir that's uh, actually yeah. an interesting perspective and that's what we wanted to know so yeah. sir moving on from the entire media industry and uh, talking about yeah. print so sir as we have seen that there was this massive dent on the print industry due to the pandemic because mm-hmm. uh, there was this fear that people might catch covid So sir you know when you are leading such a big organization what are the three most important skills or couple of important skills that, that you think uh, is required to deal with such crisis see i think uh, i think there are two parts to this question so one is probably more specific to the publishing business uh, but the way you would approach the publishing business and the content business are different uh, and then the second part of the question is the response to uh, response to covid itself which got all of us by surprise and everybody went through challenges uh, i think the ability to respond to this situation depends on how you read the situation uh, and in my mind uh, all of you have been all of us have been through wave 1 and wave 2 of covid right uh, in my mind the first wave of covid business was in crisis uh, there was almost no business during that time uh, but people were under duress lots of uncertainty people re- repivoting to work from home etc etc that that was largely the story of the first wave uh, the second wave was slightly different i think in the second wave people were in crisis uh, everybody got impacted you had infections 
right at your home. Uh, all of us lost people who were near and dear to us. So people really were in crisis. And by people, I mean our own people as well. Uh, and business was under duress. Business was not in crisis because you had seen some kind of recovery. Uh, so the ability to respond depends on how you read the situation. Uh, and given that, wave one and wave two were very different in terms of business and people. Our response was calibrated accordingly. Uh, but if you ask me for what are the important skills or attitude uh, during times like like this, uh, I think first is empathy. Uh, uh, and I think one of your, your first podcast captures that quite well about what does Micah teach? How is it different? What's all about? Uh, I could repeat everything that was there. I think uh, empathy was spoken about. Teamwork was spoken about, emotional intelligence was spoken about, but I would say the first thing required is empathy. Uh, and in, in moments such as this, which we are not seen, we don't have a collective memory of it. We don't have uh, ability to solve, solve for it based on past experience. Uh, prioritization becomes very, very important. Uh, that's not the time to do 20, 30 things. It's the time to do three things or four things very smartly. Prioritization becomes extremely important. And uh, to communicate that priority transparently, uh, clearly, and with great integrity across the organization becomes very important. So I would say uh, empathy, sharp prioritization, transparent communication of those priorities are, at least that's what I have learned from the pandemic. Interesting, sir. Very relatable. Yeah. So, sir, now we're talking just about print. Uh, sir, so print industry have been like a, for a long time, it was based on advertiser revenue model. Yeah. So now, sir, you think it's been uh, shifting towards a subscription based or how do you see this uh, model sustaining? I think there's a problem with the model itself. Uh, now, now, what the publishing industry has done uh, for a very long time, is to build a model around advertising revenues yeah. uh, to the extent where, uh, and this is especially of the English titles. I think language papers have done a far better job. Uh, extremely low cover prices uh, and highly dependent on advertising to the effect to the extent that over 80% of revenues come from advertising and cover, cover prices are yeah. highly subsidized. Uh, this is a model that worked for some time, uh, but it's a model that's not been working for some time. Uh, even, even before the onset of COVID, there was a problem with that model. Uh, so one is that due to extraneous factors, uh, advertising investment has, has been under stress. Uh, there have been multiple yeah, yeah. reasons for that. And then as audiences are moving away from printed products to online, uh, share of money also is gradually shifting. Uh, it's it's yeah. not at an alarming rate, but the truth is it's shifting. Uh, so in such a, and, and COVID of course, adds much more complexity to that. But for a minute, let's assume there's no COVID. Even in the absence of COVID, that business model is under strain. So what we have done as an industry is that we have given away too much of our content for too little for too long. And when you do that, you can't blame the external world to solve your problems. Because you have set this expectation among audiences that this is what you value yourself as. That to mind is a model that needs that needs to be corrected. And part of that is to balance between advertising and subscription revenue or circulation revenue. Uh, part of it has to got to do with higher cover prices, uh, 
in, in some markets. Uh, today, we are amongst the most expensive English newspapers in the country. Uh, and that helps us. But that comes from a belief that our content is valued enough, our content is differentiated enough, and there's, there's a huge readership out there uh, which is willing to pay a premium for our content. I think going forward, we will see this. We will see a correction in the business model. Advertising will continue to be important. I don't think this industry will move away from advertising forever. Because advertising also is good reader information. Why would you need, why would you read a newspaper uh, which doesn't tell you what cinema is playing where, what play is happening where, where is, where is there a discount, what new product is launched. Advertising is extremely important, but an over-dependence on advertising as a business model is risky. Uh, and I think the industry is correcting for it. Right, sir. So, as we talk about the model and how due to the pandemic, many yeah. newspapers launched their digital editions as an experiment with subscription-based models. And since then, there has been a lot of debate whether the print is here to survive or not. So, so what is your take on this? Yes, sir. So, so there was this one class in which we were discussing about the print and uh, there was this one point which came up that uh, due to the traditional habit of reading newspapers in the morning, uh, we think that print is here to stay. So, so what do you think? See, one one, one needs to look at this uh, rather dispassionately. Uh, So, currently the voices one hears uh, on these subjects is more from uh, what is good for me and what I believe in. But if you look at it dispassionately, uh, print is under tremendous strain in many parts of the world. Uh, And I worked in other markets and uh, it is under uh, severe strain. Uh, But India is one of those few markets where print is very robust. Uh, In fact, uh, time spent on printed products has grown during the pandemic. Uh, Circulation outside outside of fear of COVID hasn't really dipped. So print continues to be relevant. Is it going to grow at the pace at which it grow in the past, clearly no. Uh, in my mind, uh, print will struggle to find newer and younger readers uh, who will who will buy the printed product on a regular basis and read it. Uh, but the sizable audience that is used to consuming print, and this audience uh, finds print more than anything else a well curated product. Uh, now, now the issue with uh, with online news consumption is there's just so much uh, you're sort of confused about what to consume. Print is a well-curated product. Uh, So there is a lot of trust that readers have in what an editor puts together as a stitched end product. That will continue. Uh, That will continue. My belief is India has a longer runway than many of the countries uh, as far as uh, print is concerned. So print has a runway, uh, but it will struggle to find newer, younger readers. Uh, But there's a strong franchise for print in this country and it has a runway. So I wouldn't say it's under existential threat. It's still healthy, it's robust, there are ways to leverage it far better than we have done. Uh, But ability to add newer, younger readers and and grow at the pace we have been used to uh, is certainly a challenge and I don't think there's running away from that. Right. So, uh, So we were just going through your profile on LinkedIn and we saw that you've written a letter to your younger self. Uh, so, so there you pressed upon a very important point that most professionals ponder upon, you know, at least once in their lifetime. That is taking a break or sabbatical to return rejuvenated and recharged with more purpose. Yeah. 
So uh, can you tell us more about it? What was your thought process and what motivated you to do the same? It's, uh, it's, 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 it's a difficult question to answer because it's, it's, it works differently for everybody. But I believe in taking breaks. Uh, I believe breaks are good. Uh, sabbaticals are extremely good. Uh, and I assume it was difficult at one point in time to do do those because they were always seen as gaps in your resume. Uh, but today our ecosystem is mature enough. Uh, people do respect the need for people to take a sabbatical so, so long it's backed by reasoning. Uh, and I, I don't believe in taking a break because you're overworked. Uh, because overwork is a problem. It's attitudinal. Uh, if you're overworked and you're not able to manage your work-life balance and you feel drained out, a sabbatical is very temporary uh, because you will fall into those old habits in a new job and feel tired again. Uh, so it's got nothing to do with uh, getting overwork, not having enough time because one, one needs to solve for those problems in whatever job one has. Uh, and my belief is if one approaches it smartly, it is doable, uh, irrespective of what stage of one's career at, one is at. Uh, I think a break is good uh, not because you're overworked, but sometimes you need to step back and think about uh, larger issues of what you need to do, what you need to pursue, uh, think about it, travel a bit, uh, talk to people, enjoy life, uh, and get a different perspective. Uh, short breaks won't solve for it. Uh, so, For instance, you could say I will take a 15-day break every year, and many of us do that. Uh, but in that 15-day break is not good enough for you to ponder over those questions. Three to six month break is good. Uh, I found it extremely useful to do that. Uh, sir, so, sir, in one of the commitments in the letter, you urge your younger self to move cities. Just now you're talking about and be more mobile and move jobs unemotionally. So, sir, can you share any incident yeah. that you experienced personally that uh, led to you give this particular advice? Yeah, I mean, see, I've done that. Um, so, uh, so the unemotional part is different. I'll come to that. Uh, but I think we all become creatures of habit uh, over a period of time. Uh, there's great comfort in uh, doing the same things. Uh, but it's also good to challenge oneself and get into uncomfortable zones once in a while. Uh, and a way of doing that is to change industry, for instance. Uh, so for instance, from publishing to radio is a very different world altogether. Radio to broadcasting is a very different world. So first level of discomfort uh, is when, but it's related, it's media, but it's not, not necessarily the same. Uh, when you try to do something different. Uh, so changing a company gives you some discomfort and you settle into it sooner than later. Uh, and, and all of us build our networks where we live. Uh, we live in cities, you build a network, uh, you acquire connections and, and that helps you. And uh, when you live in cities for a long time, uh, there's so much of acquired knowledge that comes to you easily. I mean, you understand the pulse of the city, uh, the sights and sounds of the city, the culture, and uh, you take this for granted. Um, and uh, But when you move a city, everything is challenged. If you move to a city you have never lived in, uh, you don't have networks, you need to build your networks. Uh, you don't understand, uh, you're challenged in terms of understanding of the culture, the people, the nuances yeah. of that. That again is a great challenge because it it helps you go back to when you started work and it helps you be uh, 
curious, take nothing for granted. Uh, but a bigger challenge is changing country itself. Uh, <laughs> work in a country you are not familiar with, uh, you, have, you have no idea about it. Uh, imagine you, you, you go to a new country and you're starting work and you have absolutely no idea of the country's culture, the country's icons, uh, the pop culture of that country. Uh, of course, you would know about its people, its demographics and all by reading. Right. Yeah, I mean, imagine uh, you were in a client conversation in Chennai and let's say you came from some other country. Uh, you walked into a client meeting and asked, who's Rajnikanth? I never heard of him. <laughs> that happens to you in a new country. Uh, very challenging, very discomforting. But again, it it gets you back to uh, what you were when you were curious. Uh, so I find that uh, moving cities, sometimes moving industries, working in different cultures uh, helps you learn a lot more, helps you stay agile, takes you back to the days when you were at your curious best uh, and it helps you expand. Uh, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of moving jobs too quickly. Uh, I think uh, any job takes at least three to four years for, for me to learn something from that organization and for me to contribute anything meaningful. But there are times when we get attached to our jobs uh, for whatever reason. Uh, I mean, often the reason is just the comfort of being in a setup where you have done some meaningful work. Uh, there's no need to prove yourself all over again. But in a new place, the meter starts at zero. Your resume doesn't walk into that office. You walk into that office. Uh, so sometimes it's good to challenge yourself. Uh, start all over again. Uh, it's, it's very exciting. It's, it's, it's very tough initially, but it's... Uh, extremely satisfying and uh, the collection of these experiences are brilliant I mean, at least for me so. so when you said your resume doesn't work but you walk that hit us <laughs> no it really doesn't uh, it, 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 it really doesn't uh, because people don't uh, people might consume somebody else's resume uh, but people experience individuals uh, and you could Resume is what you want yourself to be seen as, uh, whereas experience is what you really are. And if you aren't what you are, you get caught out. I mean, you get caught out. Uh, so, uh, so that that really is the difference between. Um, and also look at uh, look at our resumes and what they do for us. Resumes are important, right? Because you're you're able to tell your own story. You're able to brand yourself. You're able to get to do something you want to do. But you get hired because of your past. Resume is essentially a history yeah. of what you have done, and you get mm -hmm. hired for uh, hired for what you have done in the past. And every position we get in our careers offers enormous status to us. Uh, you work in a good company. Uh, you are in a reasonably good position, irrespective of whether you are starting out or you are in career 20, 30 years down the line. Uh, our current jobs are as a result of our past. And those jobs offer a lot of status to us. But I think what we should think about is what can we do to enhance the stature of the positions we occupy? Uh, today, if, if you and I have a position, uh, what we should be concerned about is what do I do to enhance the stature of this position? Uh, so for instance, if you are if you're running your podcast series, what can the two of you do to ensure that the position of the 
of somebody who runs the podcast is enhanced how can you inspire right. others yeah so th- that that i think is very important to that to that sense resumes don't walk into offices so this is one of the best lines that we have heard right. so far <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh, so throughout your journey can you tell us about any one contribution that you've made to the hindu there will definitely be many but you know any one no matter how big or small but it is really close to your heart see there are uh, there are many uh, and contributions are always collective we are a fairly large complex organization uh, and the, the way we have physically built our offices our offices are created in silos so you have one department with one entry door one exit door all journalists sit there you have another part of the building where all all ad sales people sit somewhere else where circulation people sit so our buildings don't allow for col- collaboration because you have you have built infrastructure, infrastructure in silos uh, and uh, the only place where these silos meet are the corridors of our building so i was i was always thinking how do i get uh, various people to talk to each other to talk to each other to get to know each other uh, forget working together and solving for larger issues that's the next step. Uh, and how do you get a 22 year old out of campus who's bright and uh, full of ideas to to talk to somebody who's 45 50 years old who knows the organization uh, whose voice is respected and who's able to take ideas from this youngster and bring them to life and if you don't have conversations those are impossible uh, so i was thinking of how how do we uh, how do we get people to talk given the fact that corridors are what connect us together uh, the other place that connects us together is the canteen uh, so we have a lovely canteen here and uh, great food uh, but what typically happens in canteen is uh, birds of a feather flock together <laughs> so four people right. together <laughs> It's like uh, Maika, right? I mean, yeah. So, so then I realized canteen you can't solve for this, and you need to look for uh, you need to look for common periods of time to solve for this. Hmm. Obviously, working time you can't solve because you need to work in your workplace. Uh, the lunch time is ruled out because birds of a feather flock together. The other thing which is common time is coffee time. all of us consume lots of coffee or tea uh, on an average people have four cups of coffee uh, and they spend 18 to 22 minutes on coffee uh, so i thought coffee is a great opportunity for people to talk together and we said we will stop serving coffee inside uh, inside cabins and to people uh, and coffee will be served only in the corridors so we shifted coffee to this corridors and uh, people started coming to this uh, coffee kiosk so it, it was nice and i thought it's good everybody is there having coffee and uh, i thought we got people physically together and now conversations will happen then i realized conversations were not happening uh, people were talking to each other uh, they were drinking coffee in one hand and they had a cell phone in their <laughs> other hand <laughs> <laughs> so then i again i was thinking about uh, how do we get we got people together now so how do we get people to talk to each other then i also looked at uh, how we serve our coffee uh, our coffee has uh, it's it's a machine but we make our own uh, uh, our own decoction and put that in the machine and this fresh milk uh, around 86% of our people have coffee with sugar uh, only 13 or 14% have it without sugar 
so the default option in the machine was premixed sugar if somebody wanted without sugar it was made on the side separately so, so what what we did is uh, we took the ceramic cup out of the equation and started serving coffee in uh, in steel glasses with a, a tumbler and uh, yeah. There's a base that so comes filter. with it. Right. So the way yeah, South Indian filter coffees are served. Yeah. The way South Indian filter coffee is. So we did that and uh, increased the temperature of coffee by two and a half degrees. And said uh, sugar will be kept separately. Uh, so coffee was served and people had to put sugar in that. And they had to mix the hot. So you have to and it was very hot. You had to mix both the hands. Mm-hmm. So you had, and yeah. the phone went out of the equation. <laughs> And then people started talking to each other, and I was I was super thrilled that uh, such a small intervention can make such a large difference. Yeah, so I'm I'm yeah I'm proud of this. So yeah, it is kind of uh, like actual creativity that you have uh, brought. <laughs> yeah. So sir, just talking about creativity, uh, sir, a creative headline that best describes you. The headline that that I think describes myself best is work in progress. Wow, so that's very thoughtful. So now we move on to the next segment. We will take you yes. down the nostalgic path at Mica, and as we speak, we have experienced campus life only for a very brief period. So we would love to know what Mica was like back then, and your most memorable memory from campus. Lots of lots of good memories. Mica was great fun. I used to be very fond of the library. I have lots of memories of the library uh, because I used to do the crossword at the library and uh, I used to do the Hindu crossword then. Wow. And the newspaper used to come a day late, so I used to go there and uh, do the crossword. Micah was a uh, lot more than the classroom. Mm. It was a lot, lot of interactions with uh, extremely smart peer group and uh, and very diverse it was in terms of backgrounds. So it was a brilliant bunch. Uh, so as much as we learned during our classes, I think we learned a lot from each other. Uh, and in many ways, it, uh, it, it expanded my horizons. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of, uh, including tastes in music and reading, uh, things I'd never been exposed to. So, so what is that one thing about Mica that you still latch on to? I'm sure there are many, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in a in a figurative sense, uh, I think the enduring friendships, <laughs> some of them have lasted for a very long time, and many of us are still in touch. Uh, that is uh, figuratively, literally and figuratively, the one thing I I completely latch on to is my classmate, my best friend, and my wife. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> So, sir, before we conclude, uh, we'll have, we have this fun question from every guest who's coming on this season. Yeah. So, describe Mica in one word. Cornucopia. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So, so I think this was a wrap. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us today. It has been a sheer pleasure to host you on Mica. Yeah. Thank An you. Absolute so fun much. talking to you. Thank you so much. Have fun. Enjoy. Yeah.